0: So, uh, hey, Mike. Hey, go, Welcome to episode something. No, I know, it's episode see. eight. You, you told me. You told me it was episode eight, and I was trying to be cute. Yeah, see, I'm convinced you do that in your... I do. This time I did it, especially on purpose. Sometimes it's not totally on purpose. Mm. This time I was just trying to poke the bear. So hip. You don't even know. So tip to to not be good at your job. Hey, speaking of, got a new one. Yeah, work for you now. How's that going? Two days in. You haven't even fired me once. What's that? You haven't even fired me once. I was thinking that it's
1: that's good. That would have gotten like that would have been an old joke. Quick. Yeah, I'm really proud of myself for not not firing
0: me. Yeah, I think I'm
1: off access. I'm mine rarer comedy veins.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm always saying about you. That Mike, <laughs> he minds rare comedy veins. I
1: meant like a vein of coal, not a vein of, you know, blood, heroin.
0: Oh, right. Um. So we're doing stuff. Yeah, it's good. I feel uh, so far, I haven't gone crazy working from home. I feel very productive, more or less. Good, good. Uh,
1: you although- haven't descended into like Unwashed, staying up till six a m getting up at noon yet like you i don't do
0: that I'm good um I did have a moment yesterday, and this was day one where i was I was staring at the dog, and I was getting mad as to why she wasn't responding, and then I realized i wasn't talking out loud, I was just thinking at her
1: <laughs> i don't think that's a stay at home thing I think that's a <laughs> I don't know what that's a, a started, mental health thing. She
0: started telling me to kill the neighbors. I don't know. Is that normal? I think so. Yeah. Okay.
1: means that, you, uh, means you haven't, uh, filed your, uh, unemployment insurance. <laughs> I think <laughs> something like that. Right. Okay. Z two stroke C, I think. Should I get a soda stream? Oh uh, yeah. You're missing, you're missing the, the micro kitchen. What? I don't know. Do you guys have? What did? What did you have in your last job? You have like a kitchen where you could get a fountain soda. No ping pong table.
0: I worked for the government.
1: Oh, but so so just free drugs.
0: Yeah. No, I uh I I I enjoy uh seltzer water, fizzy water. Sometimes Mm. I get the Trader Joe's like uh, lime essence fizzy water. Oh, you get the you get
1: the stuff. You tart it up with flavor. Yeah,
0: sometimes. Sometimes I just go straight. And uh, I've been thinking that I yeah, could get well, a soda stream.
1: Well, I mean, as you know, I have, uh, I'm a home brewer. So I do, I carb my own beer. And at some point, I drink a lot of seltzer as well. And at some point, I decided, like, why don't I just carve an entire keg of water? <laughs> and so that's what I do now I have a five gallon keg of water at my disposable at all times
0: yeah it's good yeah
1: if you get a soda stream I'll get a reverse osmosis water filter together be <laughs>
0: unstoppable
1: I know cause then I'm you know the one thing that takes a little while getting used to is that you you end up with like fizzy carbonated chlorine water yeah that would be weird.
0: It's not, it's not bad to drink.
1: I mean, I'm not a I'm a city
0: boy, so I'm used to. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't mind my water. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't mind buying the Trader Joe's bottles for seventy nine cents, but I sort of feel bad generating all that that waste. And since I I walk to the grocery, it's sort of a pain to like have a bag full of bottles of water walking back.
1: Yeah, I uh, mean, I probably drink a gallon of carbonated water a day,
0: <laughs> and that would get heavy. So the other thing with SodaStream is that they have vendor lock-in on their carbonation bottles, but then uh, you can get, like, hacks to be able to refill them At that up.
1: point, I mean, so you're in Minneapolis. You're, well, you're in St. Paul. It's close enough. You've got, I mean, that's, there's a mail-order uh, homebrew place there. That's where I got my yeah, the, keg and yeah, CO2. Right up the Midwest. street from me.
0: Yeah, I can almost see it from here. No. It's over, it's in Minneapolis. Oh, I thought you meant uh, the one that's right on Grand.
1: No, I'm thinking Midwest Brewery. Uh, it's over in like an office park area. But
0: then I have to get all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it is a lot of stuff. But you could get like a, you well, know, the problem is that the, I mean, the thing I don't really understand about the soda stream is maybe they're like crazy, like steel canisters that are hyper compressed. But. You know, they're pretty small, those little tanks.
0: Yeah, they say the small one is good for 60 liters of water and the uh, big one's good for 120, I think.
1: That seems really high because I've got a five-pound tank and it's probably good for, I would guess, 10 or 20 kegs.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, so that's, you know, that's what, 50 to 100 gallons of water. Yeah. And that's a big tank. I mean, that's like a, you know, the kind you see the old people carting around with oxygen.
0: Right. I don't know. Yeah.
1: You should do it. I'm thinking about it. Who? Someone else has one of those.
0: Yeah, there are a few out there. I think the issue is just if they, uh, they go away and you've got vendor lock in. That's no fun. SodaStream seems like the big player. You can always hack. Yep. Get. Well Tanks. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. Why don't you just start making beer? Mm. Mm.
1: You could brew beer and have people over to drink it and watch.
0: Yeah. You could
1: be like that old guy who invites the kids over to drink. Yeah. But never drinks. Just takes lots of pictures of them partying.
0: You mean a congressman? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh... So uh, topics, video topics. So you sent me that Adobe link. Yeah, um, this Ooh. was another SIGGRAPH um, paper that was published, um, but it's something that Adobe's working on, presumably to work into a uh, future application. Um, and it's sort of, it's like a much much more sophisticated version, maybe, of um, what Apple's doing for color matching in Final Cut X.
1: In oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's much, much. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe... My know. impression... So my impression of what Final Cut's doing is just the simple, like, histogram matching. Right. So they take two shots, and they take a histogram of the the target shot, and they take a histogram of the destination, like the the shot that you're going to apply the look to... And then they just tweak the shot until it matches the target histogram, right, which works great if it's the same content in both shots, but like they show in this Adobe video, if you say have the same person on two different colored backgrounds, things bl- kind of blow up Now, I haven't actually tested that in Final Cut x, but right. my
0: assumption is that they're doing something you know pretty novel or pretty you know standard like that. Right, yeah, I mean, the features for multiple shots from the same shoot um, right. that might not match, whereas, you know, the kind of thing that wouldn't be <clears throat> that much work to go in and correct manually with the old, you know, three-way and a couple, you know, a viewer in your canvas and some droppers and stuff, you know, not right. not difficult, just time-consuming if you have to do that to every shot. Right, and so we should
1: talk about the, uh, the Adobe.
0: Yeah, can you uh, shoot me a link? I seem to have lost it. I was
1: going to ask you for one Damn it. We closed iChat.
0: Mm-hmm. I think oh. I got it from Engadget Or somewhere
1: One oh, of them be. One of them internet sites Play the going through our safari history
0: song I was just trying that and I couldn't find it We're
1: looking history For the link to the
0: thing we're talking about Because we don't have very good Management. Do doot. Hmm. It's fun. Yeah, this is this is We'll cut
1: fun. this all out, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Do we edit these things? Yeah, totally. Kay. Speaking of which Abercrombie is paying um I saw <laughs> the kid from Jersey Shore not to wear their clothes now. <laughs>
0: Which is it's kind of
1: funny because I kind of thought he was a douchebag and I thought Adam McGrumby was shooting for douchebags but apparently they're, they've met their douchebag quota and now they... Can I say douchebag? Does that require an explicit tag? Nah.
0: nah. I mean, not if it's a legitimate douchebag. He is. Yeah, it would just be if that was a... Uh, a libelous douchebag? Yeah. Uh, so what? Uh, I don't see it. I'm pretty sure we both looked at this. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I'm gonna search. I'm gonna <coughs> use the power of Google. Adobe Siggraph. Uh Maybe we made this up. Maybe uh maybe this didn't actually happen and we should patent this. Did the dog tell you about this? <laughs> Uh, I give up. Oh, here we go. Oh, I got it from Pro Video Coalition. That's why I couldn't find it. Because who goes there? (gasps) Ouch. They're a good site. I don't know what you're talking about. I know they are. I mean, I was reading it, obviously. Man. Let's pick fights for no reason.
1: So, yeah. So... The base technology behind this. I mean, what, what the paper and the the attached video is mostly about is, so last week we talked about the 3D cloud point mapping. Right. Where you try to, basically it's an attempt to find points that are the same in two shots. And so what this, what the the main new thing in this paper is, is a new way to try to match Um, They're calling it non-rigid, dense correspondence. So it's a way to find points that are continuous to each other in like a blob, which are the same as those points in another thing put through some sort of transform so that they're, you know, in some, you know, from some other angle or whatever. But it finds a, you know, a chunk of the image in the other image instead of finding individual points. And with that, they're able to basically recover a lot more information about, you know, the fact that the colors should match, things like that. Right, because for basically this- they've removed all of the other systems work on, you know, have a fairly high level there. And so they just sort of work on the, the idea that if you find, if you have 2,000 track, you know, points between the two images and... 1,500 or 1,800 or 1,900 of them are the same, then those other ones, you know, the little bit of noise isn't a huge deal, especially if you can filter them out over the course of a bunch of images. All right. Whereas this is, you know, really trying to give you a reliable thing. I mean, it's it's designed for still shots. So they don't have the sheer bulk of data to go and filter based on, you know, that point was there and then it wasn't in the next frame or any of the other frames. So Mm -hmm. this is, you know, really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Robust.
0: Right, because for this type of matching, you need more than than just to know that two images match. And, you know, it's more than just a track. You need to be able to actually have sort of qualitative data that you can line up between the two about, you know, color and tone. Right, you need to specifically have a section of the image that is
1: the same in both. Right, you have to know that with a high degree of certainty right and this is, I mean, and so once they have that, they have a you know basically you know in the video that we'll link to, they show basically these little blobs inside the image that they're you know sure match between the two, and then you're able to you know apply color transforms from one image to the other so that that area and that area alone. Looks the same in both, Right. you know. Everything else, be damned. Um, or you know, they have a really great one where they uh, they know what that section looks like in another shot that's blurry, and so they can compare the two and figure out what the what convolution kernel would be. Basically, you can. So if you know exactly what kind of blur was done on an image, you can unblur it really well. Right. This is something, I mean, it seems a little counterintuitive, but if you do a Gaussian, you know, if you do a Gaussian blur, you can actually remove that with almost no loss in the image, assuming you know what blur you applied. Right. And so what this does is it models the blur that the camera applied, either through motion or through, you know, soft focus, and then it can reverse it, which is
0: yeah, I think that was for me the most impressive uh, no. demo, um, and and maybe the most, you know, um, you know, applicable to day to day world. Because if you think about when you're out shooting snapshots, um, and you maybe shoot in, you know, shoot a burst of shots, um, you know, it's entirely possible that you end up with a blurry shot that actually has the moment that you you want to capture. Right. Um, well,
1: and you know what this is going to allow them to do this technology. The ability to do a really good correlation between two images gives you all sorts of abilities, like you know you you can imagine a version of Lightroom in the future where you have six shots of the same like you know car in a field or whatever mm-hmm. you're shooting and being able to go, like, oh, I want the sun from this shot, and I want the car from this shot, and I want the, you know, and it will, like, figure out the difference in color between all of them, and fix that, and it will figure out, you know, the occlusions between them, and you know, fill in the space where the car doesn't, you know, quite match, or you know, fill in background, do the sort of stuff they do with their magic fill, but do all of that automatically from a series of Pictures.
0: Right. It's, I mean, very impressive stuff. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, this is one of those cool things because this is, you know, a lot of the things you see coming out of SIGGRAPH nowadays are are sort of cool tricks implemented on top of technologies like this that are 10 years old. Right. And it seems like we've, you know, they've come up with another tool Or, you know, basically they've incremented that foundational technology, you know, by an order of magnitude, I would say. So this is, you know, largely, you know, this is, you know, so all the stuff that we look at, you know, that we've been impressed with and the whole everything we talked about last week, this really is a way to do all of those things much better. And so it's, you know, it's just interesting to see people making these you know these sort of optimizations at the lowest level of you know these stacks of technology that we are building on top of yeah you know it's it's similar to like you know apple built this new fancy compiler llvm and you know just you know a long time people were like why would you do that when there's this other one already out there you can keep building stuff on top and now we're seeing all these crazy innovations that Apple's able to push on top of it, or that graphics card manufacturers are able to do with this you know this stack that's been built up over the last few years. And so this is you know, it's going to be interesting to see what people can do on top of this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting stuff. Um, it makes me okay, I almost got tempted into a sidetrack on text editors, but uh, we won't uh, do that. Textmate. Um, so more broadly, This is a paper, um, a joint paper by two researchers from Adobe and two researchers from Hebrew University. Um, which is actually, uh, I haven't seen too many papers that are, are joint projects like this. Um, but Adobe's had a Adobe and a lot of other companies have had. Um, sort of patterns for the last maybe 5, 10 years in particular of picking up research projects out of universities and, you know, working with the researchers to incorporate them as one-off features into their products.
1: Adobe's always been really good about that. I mean, they started when when the original founders, at least one of them was a PhD guy. Uh,
0: Could be. What's his name? I don't know. Um, And, you know, certainly other companies do this as well, I, I, I was just remembering that, uh, you know, Apple got their multi-touch start um, by bringing on board the guy who uh, came out of, I think, Princeton, who did uh, TouchWorks, um, and, uh, you know, held a lot of the initial uh, patents and research around multi-touch, um, but Adobe seems somewhat unique in that, what you know, the, the pattern will often be, especially with them... That you'll see some really cool demo and a paper come out about um, you know a particular type of you know analysis of an image or you know uh, the one I'm thinking of most recently that you know was pretty mind blowing was their um, context-aware scaling and then context-aware filling um, where you sort of see a demo
1: aware aware uh, D, what's their new one their D oh, shutter their yeah. motion right. stabilizer
0: yeah um, and at least with the context of our scaling it was one where you saw the demo and then like a year later it was a feature in Photoshop because they'd worked with the researchers to bring it on board. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting. Uh, what do you think about that sort of process, though? I mean, the way that Adobe does that and the way that other people do that sort of picking up individual features from research and bringing them into products.
1: I I mean, it seems like a good way to go. Um, You don't have to pay for the R&D yourself. The university pays for it. Um, It's a golden parachute for somebody who's been, you know, toiling away (laughs) at a university for a while. Um, And I don't know. It's probably drastically cheaper than acquiring companies for features.
0: Yeah. I guess, you know, where I feel a little bit conflicted about it Twofold. fold uh, One is that it these these features well, I guess they're both the same point, but these features end up sort of being just one-off features that get added to Photoshop or something you know, a cool thing that demos well um, and so it's rarely part of a broader vision because it's that, you know, Adobe sees this paper published at SIGGRAPH the same time we do and then says, oh, we should roll that into CS5 or CS6 or whatever. And so it, it sort of leads to products that aren't particularly cohesive because you're not driving a vision from within the company. You're sort of saying we're we're out of ideas and now we're just sort of cramming the kitchen sink into this product. Um, because well, I feel like a lot of the features that have come out of this research and have been added to some of their products in particular are really features that demo well and, and rarely get used. Well, I mean, part of that is,
1: I think that's, that's really true of Photoshop, but I think part of that is the nature of Photoshop. I mean, Photoshop is done. Right. That tool, I mean, with the exception of, you know, running quickly and launching fast and not taking all of your RAM and not crashing every time you forget to save, I mean, that app does everything it needs to do. Right. I mean, there's no way to drive, it's the flagship product for their CS, their entire studio. Line, you know, they're CS suite, and so they have to have something new to show every year because every year they're going to try to sell you an upgrade. And you know, you're not going to buy CS7 if it's just or CS12 if it's you know, Photoshop hasn't been revved in four years, and all they're doing is pushing Dreamweaver changes or something,
0: right. But I mean, I guess I, my point is that from a user perspective, you know, I don't know that that really benefits us. It's and it it you know in some ways just dilutes the product because you sort of, you know, especially with a product like Photoshop, the more they cram in, the more likely it is that any one of these features isn't going to get the attention it needs to you know continue to evolve and and stay relevant. Right.
1: But I mean, there's so little.
0: I mean. They could keep polishing the
1: small tools, but they've got such an installed base that they can't really, you know, they're not the kind of company that's going to go and... Do Photoshop X. Right, exactly. But, I mean, you see, you know, so you see you see these things sort of get implemented exactly as they were discussed in year or two years prior SIGGRAPH presentation. But then, you know... It seems like after that they begin to sort of filter out into other, you know. So like, you know, your, um, your example of uh, context-aware scaling, you know, that was cool, but no one ever needed that, you know. And the com- I'm pretty sure the context-aware fill was done in-house with by that team afterwards sure. using the technology, and that's a much more useful tool. That's true. Um, and then I know for a fact that the uh, their their new motion stabilizer in After Effects is based off that technology. And that's, you know, a really useful, that's something you would want in, in, you know, in a video editing app. And I'm guessing their, like, Smart Roto is probably, you know, I'm guessing all of their stuff which does tracking points is probably based off this, you know, and probably a few other people's work too, but... Sure. You know, and, you know, so there's smart roto that can, like, actually, you know, move your roto through the entire scene. And then all you have to do is fix a couple things that go wrong. I mean, that's all great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I can totally see, you know, if that's, if that's, if all that stuff is stuff they were able to do because they, you know, did a boring, direct implementation of the thing to get into Photoshop so they could keep the guy around and show him that his stuff really matters and Mm. makes it into shipping products that millions and millions of people use. Like, I, it seems like a good trade off to me.
0: Okay. I might take that. What do you think more broadly about this idea of, um, you know, buying up research and, you know, research that was in the public domain or was, you know, being, you know, generated out of a, Public institution and and taking a commercial like that. I mean, do you think that that creates? You know, do you think that's a, a net negative and a net positive? I don't know. I mean, there is.
1: I mean, it's common across all fields. You know, the same thing. You know, if you invent a good battery at the university in academia, you go off and start making batteries you know you just get VC to do it right Um, you know I could I can see a really you know I can see a really cogent um, argument for not being able to patent things invented on public funding but I you know but that's never going to happen right you know, so someone's going to make money off this. It's going to end up patented. Um, it, you know, I guess this is, you know, it seems like the best possible scenario, given all the limitations Sure. of our intellectual property system. Sure. I mean, I think it you is... You know, and I mean, the nice thing is, at least it's, you know, so it's a little bit, you know, nicer than... so one of the advantages of the patent system is that you have to document your thing, which means people can actually figure out how you did it. Right. And this is like, you know, even a little bit nicer because you actually were in a sharing mood in the beginning.
0: Right. Well, I was going to say that I think that's one of the nice things more broadly about, um, the video industry is that there aren't too many people who have secret sauce. Um, you know, there is a fairly, open culture with events like SIGGRAPH and um, the fact that it's a fairly small industry and there's a lot of people who move between companies and things like that um, that you know even though lots of people have really amazing technology um, it's often not a mystery how they're accomplishing something it's that you know they're really smart and they've done a lot of work and they've you know implemented something and you know here's the broad concept right well, more. So, I, mean, the,
1: I think the thing that's really amazing about the video industry is that none of this stuff is very difficult. You know, like, e- these things that look like magic are based on very simple math when you get into it. You know, like, some of these trackers are, th- you know, 1,000, 2,000 lines of code. Sure, yeah. You know, in a single file. I mean, it's, they're not complex systems. They're simple systems done iteratively a lot. And then really, I mean, so really when, when somebody comes out with something new, what's amazing is that, some, you know, where the most of the time is spent is in tuning that sort of thing. Right. You know, because it's a very, it's a pretty simple sort of dynamic system you're working with for most of these. And all you're trying to do is get the, you know, the good quality results up and the noise you know, because it doesn't take much noise to screw up video. Um, you know, you can you can take an image and do a lot of stuff in Photoshop. You can take people out. You can you know, but turn someone's eyes upside down or something, and no one will ever notice. Um, in video, because that's hap- because there's a perceptual, the like a temporal element to it, it's really easy for you know the. It's. You don't. You can't mistake noise for noise in the capture system.
0: Right. Well, that's why you know a thirteen-year-old can Photoshop, you know, Sarah Palin's head on a bikini model. But uh, it would take industrial light and magic to do that same thing on video. Right,
1: and it still might not be. Right. You know, entirely convincing. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. It's um Yeah, it's what's always surprising is when people get it to look really good without fiddling. That's right. really the hard thing.
0: Right. Well, and it's a dirty secret of the film industry that uh m- most of what they do is accomplished by brute force. Right. That you know, we spend a lot of time demoing cool things at NAB you know that are one click and whatever but in reality it's um you know an army of rotoscopers in india and uh you know thousands and thousands of hours on a on a production
1: right just tweaking sliders until they find the sweet spot and then t- retweaking them on the next frame right and them on the next frame. you know, know
0: hand painting and you know yeah you know wire removal and motion tracks and all of those things like yeah tools have gotten a lot better and you know are a lot more automated than you know when they were doing you know the sort of early big cg movies in the early 90s like terminator and abyss and whatnot but uh it's still a very manual thing to get it looking good and believable yeah so um so yeah i think we
1: beat that to death what else is there this week
0: well the other thing we were talking about talking about was um some of these content deals
1: oh yeah i'm just mad
0: why so, so let's walk through this um so fox and abc are both sort of ramping up different types of schemes um to pull back from some of the really open models they've had vis-a-vis putting their content online recently you know with things like hulu where shows are online the next day um they're both looking at moving to models where uh shows might only be available immediately online uh for people who are paying for some sort of premium video delivery whether that's hulu plus or whether that's um cable access or dish or something um and then for you know plebs like uh you and you and me you you don't have cable, do you no, no, um, so for people like us, you know we might have to wait a week or two weeks before we can watch those shows online,
1: yeah, I mean, so is this i mean it seems surprising to me that advertisers are still paying such a premium for ads in cable television, terrestrial television, or cable television.
0: I I agree. That is pretty surprising. I mean, I... Because, I mean,
1: obviously, the reason why they're doing this is because someone makes more money... Well, so the cable providers make enough money that, by extension, their business buying shows from the, the... You know, the affiliates buying the programming from ABC or NBC or CBS or whatever is worth more money than they would get selling the ads directly and putting stuff up on the web. Right. And I mean, you know, like, I, it, that just amazes me. Well, I agree. I, I mean, mean, you look at, like, cost per clicks in Google Ads are a buck each for, for a good qualified lead. More, you know, you can pay 15 bucks for a click. If you're, you know, in the right, if you're looking for the right kind, you know, if you're you're selling timeshares or something, that's really hard to get people. Um, But it just seems amazing that, like, something where you get that many eyeballs and where you have the ability to actually track engagement, like, you know, because they wouldn't even, I mean, maybe, is it that they... Get a lot for those click throughs, but they're just so few of them i mean is the is the dirty secret that we're all still like convincing and that like ad people are still con or you know they're still able to convince the people to ad buys that it's worth it to put an ad-on in the Super Bowl, even though no one I think that may be a big would click it. it if it were online I mean obviously Super Bowl's are bad right.
0: But, I mean, you know, th- th- the only show that I watch semi, anime. semi-regularly semi um, *Crazy is, is Daily Show, um, which, when I watch it, I watch through Hulu. And I'm always shocked that, you know, how few commercials there are, how limited the, the commercial pool is, and the fact that sometimes, you know, not only will you see the same commercial multiple times per episode, sometimes you'll see the same commercial back-to-back. Um, right. a- and, you know, at most, you'll see maybe two or three different advertisers and it is a bit shocking because you know i'm much more likely to watch the ad on on the daily show streaming via hulu than i am to see you know a random ad on broadcast tv right i mean because you have to i mean they're actually able to lock i mean at least lock you into watching it right like playing or playing playing it it. yeah i mean there's nothing stopping me from opening a tab i guess but i don't you know i i watch it And so it is very surprising. I mean, I can understand um, from the perspective of someone who's got local affiliates that they need to keep happy because they do have revenue coming in from that path. You don't, you know, you need to respond to their needs. Um, And particularly with the cable companies, uh, you need to respond to their needs because they have subscribers and they're paying to carry your channel. Um, but are they paying i mean I just can't imagine i mean so the affiliates I understand because
1: they're doing things like local out i mean they're basically a local sales right venue i mean they' they're little i mean they're selling ads on your you know they're the ones who sell those in that one local ad block which if you get rid of the affiliates, you would have to sell those ads yourself um and they're doing things like, you know, providing the news service, which you can, you know, leverage whenever your something happens in the middle of aisle or something. Right. But I don't. I mean, it just seems like they should be able to get, you know, advertising in general. I mean, look at look at print. Print can't make any money on advertising anymore. Compared to the web, so why is it so different for video?
0: Yeah. Well, now is it
1: just not there yet, or is it? Is it the difference of a like a point-to-point system? Is it just so much more expensive to get content to people on the internet, yeah, compared to sticking it in the air and people pull that. it down? I don't know.
0: So okay, that's from the content owner's perspective but what about from a user perspective i mean do you feel for lack of a better word entitled to seeing this content on a in a timely fashion is that where we've gotten to in 2011 um
1: no but i do i don't feel i mean i don't care that they're doing it but i feel like they're not i'm not gonna wait for it i guess you know, it's not that I feel entitled to watch that one show, but there's just so many shows and they're so undifferentiated that why would I wait and watch So if if if, if not like a, I can watch it and then talk to people at you know the metaphorical water cooler the next day at my metaphorical job. Right. Um then why not just watch one of the sixteen million hours of back library of shows that I haven't seen on Netflix, you know, or you know, why not rewatch a show that I liked as a kid? Or why not
0: Sure, sure. If you're because I think for both of us when we watch something, it's because we need some noise because we're too fried to do anything else. It's not because we're really interested in what Joey's up to this week. Joey, is that like a full house reference? I don't isn't wasn't there a show called Joey? I don't know. I'm sure there is some sitcom with a character named Joey who's up to some antics or shenanigans. Mm, He was a rocker. He just wanted to make it big. Joey wasn't the rocker. Uncle Jesse was the rocker.
1: Oh, yeah, he wanted to be a comedian. Uncle Jesse
0: and the Rippers. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
1: I guess you're right. I was watching a movie the other day, and I saw the dad from... uh, what was the show after that with the uh with Urkel? Uh
0: yeah. The Urkel show.
1: Yeah. yeah. The dad was in some TV show. Or some movie. And both Rebecca and I were like, That's the dad from the show with Urkel. Good for him. Yeah.
0: So what about um regional? Oh so happens? yeah, so like related to this.
1: I so I um Where did I see it today? Someone, one of the, like, RSS things I read um, linked to a hour-long science, you know, kind of Nova-like show out of BBC about color perception. And I was like, wow, that sounds like my kind of thing, and it sounds like something we could talk about on the podcast. And so I went to look at it, you know, like... Dinner time tonight. I was like, oh, I'll click on that and watch it while I eat my sandwich. And you can't get the show. You can't watch the show outside of the UK,
0: right? How does this help anyone? Well, um, with the BBC, that's that's a tricky issue because I, I know that a lot of people in the BBC would like to make their content available without restrictions, but because they're a government enterprise funded by TV licensing. Where, you know, if you're not familiar with the way TVs work in the UK, you still literally pay an annual license to own each TV in your house. And it costs money to have, you know, two TVs versus one TV. And that money goes... I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, that that money is what funds the BBC and all of their various ventures. Now, the BBC, of course, has many, many other revenue sources because there's BBC Worldwide and they have a lot of marketing and and, other ventures, but... You know, historically, and I think the bulk of their sort of big produced content on BBC One and BBC Two um, comes out of the funding from the license fee. Um, and so, both for sort of symbolic reasons, and also I think for you know either legislative or or from pressure from um, Parliament reasons, they've restricted content to just the people who ostensibly are sort of paying very very much like what abc and fox are looking at people who are you know covered under that that licensing
1: right but they're not i mean they're not even doing that they're not saying like you have to have a tv at home and buy station, right. well but they've you know, done the, this you just have to live in the country right well but the point so is so the only people they they could the only people who watch it are people they could be losing revenue well but they're not commercial they don't
0: they don't have ads right
1: but i mean <laughs> like you know so
0: it's they would be better right?
1: served. <laughs> They'd be better served by letting everyone except for people in the UK stream it, because then people in the UK would have to buy a TV to watch it.
0: Well, but their perspective, I think, is that you know they exist. They're they, they are funded by licensing fees, but they exist not to collect the fees. They exist to make Britain better for British people, and <sighs> iPlayer is a way they can do that. Um, now, this is a, this is a, a big issue that uh, that impacts my life. Um, because the, the best uh, car show in the world, Top Gear, is uh, aired on the BBC, and it doesn't air in America um, until much later, and, and they cut out all of the America-bashing jokes, uh, which sort of ruins the show. Um, and and so the only way to get it is to steal it. Um, now, interestingly, the many of the show's creators... Are not only sort of well aware that this goes on; they, they've given more or less tacit approval. The producer of the show often links in his blog to the site where everyone downloads pirate copies from, and they've actually done a number of videos, jokingly referring to uh, you know the site and to the BitTorrent community. And um, you know they've obviously accepted that this is going on, and, and BBC has in the past tended to not be particularly litigious about this sort of thing. Um, so. If you'd like to see that color documentary, I'm sure we could hook you up with a copy. Um, Uh, I would,
1: but it just seems, I mean, I don't, well, but I I mean,
0: I guess, you know, have you ever tried to watch Netflix or Hulu from Europe? Because it doesn't work either.
1: Right. I just don't understand how any of this helps. Well, I mean, so, I mean, I, it just, so the people who are going to watch it, no matter what, will find a way, right? That's why we I mean, have proxies. Yeah, this is like soft. This is like software piracy. You know, it's the same argument. Like the people who really want it will get it, and the people who, you know, you're trying to convince to be interested. The people who like have that like, I'm gonna watch something.
0: Yeah, you well, know,
1: they, they they get turned away.
0: I agree. I mean, and I think that, you know, even though I brought up Netflix and Hulu, I think those are two slightly different issues compared to BBC because those issues deal with content licensing in regions and someone different might own the rights to a show in Europe versus in the US. You know, with the BBC, it's much more akin to, for example, you know, people in America not wanting to pay taxes to... Um, you know, for foreign aid or for, you know, supporting illegal immigrants or something, you don't want to see your money in any way benefiting someone who's not part of the system. Um, and I think that's the pressure that's on the BBC, you know, for better or worse, that's the pressure that they're responding to when they lock iPlayer down. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it sucks. It definitely sucks that BBC has some of the more exciting content out there these days, but, uh, It is what it is, I suppose. Yeah.
1: I mean, it seems like, you know, I don't know. To me, it's sort of an inversion of the, uh, like, Canadian slash New Zealand film world where they basically, you know, are, have some sort of government help. Right. Which, Drastically encourages people to do stuff there. I don't know. I mean, I think they uh, should. They should stop. They should let me watch the show. It's about color.
0: I think you know one of the more unfortunate things is that both you know this and the situation with Fox and, and ABC in some ways, points to us taking a step backward in terms of access to some of this content. And this, you know, over the past few months, there've been a lot of cases of things like this as different deals have expired. Content has disappeared from Hulu and disappeared from Netflix and disappeared from iTunes as people choose not to renegotiate or re-up deals. Um, And I think it's really unfortunate because it did seem like we were moving in the right direction in terms of having access to content in ways that as users, I felt comfortable with, whether that was watching ads on Hulu or paying a subscription fee to Netflix or paying a rental fee to iTunes, you know, I liked that if I wanted content, I could get it one way or the other. And this really
1: loops back to our, an earlier conversation where you were, um, very nonchalant about the death of optical, you know, I feel like this is, you know, so there's this new model you know the the thing. You know every everything's in the cloud now. Don't worry about don't worry about owning media anymore. We're gonna put it in the cloud, so you can have it anytime you want. And then it just seems like there's always going to be these expiration dates, right? You know, it seems like. I mean, the, I guess the part that's really disappointing about all this is, to any casual observer, we know it's. Sisyphean, like, it's not going to work. Right. There is no way that 10 years from now, it's not going to be all DRM-free, have it whenever you want it, you know, pay whatever the monthly fee is, but be just, you're done. You can get everything.
0: Well, you know, actually, I think we had an interesting case this week that might might be informative, um, because I, I think we actually went through the same situation with uh, music earlier this decade or last decade i guess where um yeah you know we had had piracy and then we had itunes come along and everyone said you know what 99 cents for a song that's pretty great um itunes took off became you know the seventh biggest music retailer then sixth then fifth i mean it's now number one but as this was happening uh, the music industry started to perceive the potential threat that is itunes and started working to um come up with alternatives. And so you saw two things happen. First, you saw everybody under the sun launch their own music store. Um, and then you also saw record labels pulling content off of iTunes and record labels quickly realized that that was, you know, self-destructive. Um, right. And, and this week we saw Walmart shut down their music store. And I remember pretty vividly when Walmart launched their music store because it was one of these, you know, does Walmart music store spell the death of iTunes um, because they were selling songs for 88 cents a piece instead of 99 cents a piece. And (laughs) consumers, you know, will go to what's cheap. uh, And of course the reality Um, was consumers will go to what's easy and, you know, what works and what has good selection and, and, you know, what bounces right to their iPod. But, you know, I think that this is for video, a similar sort of blip where, owners of content get a little worried that they're they're being a little too liberal and they pull back and then they're reminded pretty quickly of the fact that users aren't going to come begging for the content users are going to seek out the path of least resistance to get that content which probably Or means, just
1: choose different content or, or I mean, just choose content yeah we're not you know it's we're no longer in the day of three channels where you just you know like how okay how many reality shows are there for people who want to be chefs right You know, like, I'm pretty sure I can find one of them right now that I can watch for free. Right. Or people doing a dangerous and dirty job somewhere. You know, like, who cares what it is? Like, it's none of it's, I mean, nothing that they're producing is good enough that it matters anymore. I mean, HBO can afford to be dicks because HBO makes good content. Right. And the same is true of, you know, very few other station. I mean, they're racing to the bottom on production value or production cost, and they're, you know, trying to act sanctimonious about, you know, you know, their relationship with the customer. Like, you can't do both. Either make something that's unimpeachable and that people will, you know, jump through hoops for or, you know, make it really easy to get.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm generally optimistic that, you know, we're moving the right direction, but... Yeah, I
1: mean, it's going to, you know, it's going to stabilize in much the same way the music industry has, for the most part, stabilized now.
0: Right. I mean, quite honestly, you know, if you're willing to buy music, and most people are, um, you know, you can get the music you want very easily now, legally and easily. So, you know, and that took, you know, well, it's, you know, been 15 years. Well, it's been about 12 years, I guess, since Napster, um, yeah. you know, t- 11 or 12 years. Um, and I would say, you know, we've been in a pretty good situation for a few years now where, you know, we're it's just not interesting to sort of worry about where you're going to get music from because you just go to iTunes or if you're slightly more technical, you go to Amazon and, right. and, you, and now, you know, Spotify or something else if you're um, interested in some of these other models. Yeah. But, I don't know.
1: Um, so, yeah. So, when are we going to see something like Spotify for video?
0: Well, I mean, I think...
1: Or, like, Netflix what's the other one Rhapsody? Is- no, but something that's, like... Finds you gems that you didn't know about. I guess Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think Netflix, Netflix has the best discovery. You know, I suppose. Yeah. I guess it's also hard because video is so much longer form. Right. You know, you don't get you don't do playlists. Right. Well, there someone launched a an app this week. We should. I heard it's really bad, but we should look at it. It was like a Facebook game thing for doing. Uh, basically it's like turntable oh yeah for YouTube videos
0: sure sure
1: which I always wanted to do I always wanted to set up like a a bar night you know where you do like open mic type things but I wanted to have like a night where you go to a bar and people would um, do like links so there'd be a video projector set up and you would you'd go in and drink and people would find like you know, they'd sign up to be on the list, and then they would get to, like, show one or two YouTube videos. Yeah. So it would be a competition to find the most obscure, strange, weird junk on YouTube.
0: Yeah. Well, I've often... Uh, often. I've thought that um, Google Hangouts might enable some of those interesting um, sort of virtual situations happen because one of the features of the google hangout is that in addition to the video streaming you can bring in youtube videos that you all watch in sync uh, oh you okay. can yeah interesting and so that has the potential to create some interesting interactions um, albeit in smaller groups we should try that okay
1: and hey, let's do a hangout instead of as our next podcast
0: okay i'll have to wear a shirt
1: <laughs> great that would be interesting. Can we do? Can we record audio and do that? I guess that'd be really boring if we're showing videos.
0: Yeah, mm. we can figure it out. So what if anyone
1: the- listens and they want to do a, a hangout, yeah, well, well, I guess we've got. We can do it any work day now.
0: Or we could just leave uh, hangout running. You could come hang out with Divergent Media anytime. That's true. How great we would that do be? That. We should do support via hangouts.
1: Oh boy, I'll let you do that.
0: All right, we do have instant messenger support if anyone ever wants that. I'll hook hmm. you up. Drop, drop us an email. Um, what was your great idea for an app that you were going to share with the world?
1: Oh, yeah. So I wanted to find out if you... So you know some... One of the things we're looking at right now for the website, you're doing a lot of updates to the website, and one of the big things was a way to upload files to us for support, like yeah. large files, um, and be able to start over in the middle and things that you get in basically every... Um, file upload system besides websites Um, and so you showed me some tool you found that's based on a new HTML5 thing Um, it's a JavaScript API
0: extension actually um, HTML5 has some new file handling but um, what we're looking at is something called the file API that's part of JavaScript and not HTML5
1: and so that that allows you to basically read local files, right?
0: Yeah, so basically it lets a user point you to a file and then you in your client-side JavaScript app can open that file, read bytes from it, and then do stuff with those bytes, um, whether that's post them to a server um, or if you have WebSockets-capable um, browser and server, you could, you could push them that way. Um, but what it means is that you can... If the transfer fails, you can ask the server, okay, how many bytes do you have? Great, i right, you need that far in and start resuming just like you would with an FTP client or as Mike said, anything else. Right, so here's what I was thinking.
1: Um, a file uploader for YouTube or something that would allow you to edit clips together. So the idea being you like do file open on the three clips you want to take from the birthday party, and send to YouTube. And you get the three videos open. You can set in and out points, and then it like it knows where you want your in and your outs based on time. So you know it's a standard editor, just like any other. Except so now you can get files that are local. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can. I mean, there might be some issues with opening a movie of a local file, but. I'm assuming you can get a URL to it and then open it in a standard video tag. Sure. So, but once you've chosen your in and out start points, you know, as long as they're QuickTime movies or some format you understand, you could then just upload, you know, basically open the sample table, find the chunk that is the video and just upload that section of the video. Sure. So you could take like an, so you could basically have a simple editor slash uploader that would allow you to like go through all two hours of your you know which you know, most people I'm sure when they're shooting something like a birthday party they shoot one shot you know and it would be you know the, the only way you could do that with a web editor right now would be upload the entire file transcode it to something you can play back and then you know let people edit the whole thing off the server right but this would be a way to do like sub edits And then just upload those?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting uh, way of approaching it. Someone should do that. Yeah.
1: Also, I thought it'd be a great way to somebody... um,
0: You're just trying to get someone to implement uh, QuickTime parsing in JavaScript. (laughs) It's easy to do. No one's done that? I
1: doubt it. Yeah, I guess you couldn't get to the files before. Maybe I'll do that. Um, No, I won't. (laughs) Somebody (laughs) do it. Somebody do it. Do it and we'll we'll buy you. It'll be like an Adobe style acquisition. Except far less lucrative. Right. For you. Right. Um. But yeah, that I thought of that and I thought, thought of um someone should do a right now if you if you have a file that gets corrupted somehow, a QuickTime file that gets corrupted, the uh you have to send them off to someone to get repaired, which is Require sending the files off, which means you have to go through the entire like, wow. put them on a drive and mail them off, or upload them.
0: Wow, well, sometimes.
1: And then there's there's so there's there's a tool out there that someone's done which does um, basically it runs local. You point it to the file, and it like takes a small section of the video and sends it to him, and then he figures out what's wrong with the thing, and then sends back a little script which repairs the video. Right. And I thought doing a service like that over the web would be cool too. Yeah. Where it could just run and you wouldn't have to push them scripts or anything. So you could actually limit it, you know. Because the thing with his is you buy an unlock and then you can use it on all your clips forever. It would be really easy to do like a, you know, $10 a video sort of thing where you sure. point it at it. It doesn't actually upload the file, it does it all locally. Sure. Yeah, we could even make clip wrap for the
0: web. Yeah,
1: I mean, we because we don't actually need to get the video,
0: right? But why would that be better?
1: I yeah, because we could push the updates over the <laughs> web. I don't know, because
0: <laughs> it'll be cloudy, and that that'll be yeah. good when we go to the know. when we go to the the people on Sandhill Road. We can say we've got a cloud video service. Yeah, I don't know. You know, but it's this, just
1: interesting being able to do. Local file type stuff.
0: There are a variety of um, API extensions and other things, both for for JavaScript and HTML5 dealing with video that are in the pipeline. Um, There's been this sort of media, there have been a lot of failed um, attempts to get media and device support into either HTML5 or JavaScript because when you look at the universe of things you need to support if you want to totally replace Flash, a big one is support for um, client video cameras and, and audio sources and other things like that um, that can then be streamed back to a server. And so at one point they were going to do this via just an HTML tag and that I, I believe is now totally dead and has been stripped out of W3C's but the, uh, the JavaScript working group has a thing that is, as far as I know not dead yet although very lightly implemented that gives you some lower level access to devices and to also local media files um, that you can then transcode and stream off to a server as well mm. um, from JavaScript and the, the way it works um, at least in the, the most recent lo- implementation I looked at is that when you for example um, ask for the devices that the computer has. Um, you know, your 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 code makes a query like, you know, show me the devices or something, or let me pick a device. Um, and then the browser presents a UI to the user. And, and the the spec I saw most recently said that the browser has to give the user the option of either selecting a live device or a file. And then, you know, can't, isn't allowed to tell your application whether it's live or whether it's a, a file. Um, But so they've got some options planned to... um,
1: I mean, that's something that they're... That's been implemented by Android, right? That's how... Because you can do something like that in Android where you can get any of your videos or the camera, I think. Am I making that up? I think you're making that up. Mm, I thought somebody showed me that. i might be wrong, But yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, that would be nice. I mean, I think you know. This is another thing that I think it's it's uh, only a matter of time before everything ends up web-based.
0: Yeah. But or or itself. web technology-based.
1: Yeah. Well, just you know. Yeah, I guess web technology-based. But you know, this native support for files and devices are two of the big reasons why you make a native app right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah cool do we have anything else nah so we should start doing a thing where we uh, where we have our uh, endorsement sort of thing
0: you mean like and the, I had one like the, I was gab, gonna, the gab fest yeah you know like
1: that where you do our uh, the one
0: quick thing the cocktail but I totally party. forgot what mine was gonna be so uh, maybe next week we'll be ready for it yeah mine is uh, dear god Apple's new headquarters is big Oh yeah! Did you see that? It's, it's bigger than the Pentagon.
1: So my question was: Are they gonna have trams? I have no idea. Or like
0: well, no going to work sort with s- anyone else. Either, anyways. So
1: I suppose, but yeah. there's only one lunch spot. You have to huff through the middle there whenever you want to go get a latte. Yeah. Uh, at least they'll be skinny.
0: Yeah, it's part of Steve's no fatties plan. Yeah.
1: I don't know, I'm I'm just assuming they're gonna have like some sort of like round I don't know, maybe a moving walkway or like uh I don't know. What do they do now? For a long time it was a little rascal scooters. What do what do the dot coms do to get people from one side of their big place to the I other? I think it's bikes. Google is the bikes. Yeah. I guess you could bike around the middle. The advantage of I mean the advantage of Southern California is there's no weather. Um Northern, whatever part of California we're in, this area. Um, so you can actually make people go outside. But right. Right I don't
0: now. know. It's uh, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, it's gonna be a number of years before it's built, but uh...
1: it's not that far off, is it? I thought it was twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's a few yeah. years. Four years, I guess. I better get uh, to work. That'll be nice. nice. I guess. So, I don't know. So. Oh, was mine? I had them there. I don't know what it was
0: alright well next week next week we'll have them. for sure alright okay peace is that, out
1: is that it for this week
0: yeah sure okay talk to you later see ya
1: and uh yeah people we'll, we'll do the hang up thing let's do it yeah um what's your how do you tell people who you are on i'm one two three zero two three (laughs) three how do you tell people how to find you i'm just your name i guess so yeah
0: i'm c mcfadden at gmail
1: oh i'm uh what am i i made up an email address for this no do they tell you in here somewhere i don't know where's my google plus uh it doesn't show my email oh i'm mike woodworth at me.com so friend us up. and uh, we'll try to leave a hang up open tomorrow during work. Yeah. And uh stop by and say hi if you listen to this. It'll be interesting cuz you got some numbers, right? You looked at how many people downloaded this? Yeah. And it wasn't it was more than I expected.
0: Yeah, although I I forgot to mention that iTunes sometimes uh inflates those numbers a bit, but no, it's probably still, you know, not
1: zero. It's more than people I know. Yeah, no, I think,
0: I think that's true.
1: Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. We'll this, try to do better.
1: This is we'll even cool. get a song soon.
0: Yeah, we gotta get Merlin to write us a song. He's writing them for everyone else.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you can do one.
0: Could do. You still got your 808, don't you? No, I sold that. Ah,
1: uh, garage banded up. Yeah. Okay, Bye. let's get out of here.